I didn't feel under any external pressure to do something for the sake of it, but I knew I wanted to do something similar again. It wasn't just the journey and the physical and mental challenges that naturally came with it. I enjoyed the planning itself, the development and the training. I missed preparing for a long-term goal and the pressure that comes with having to perform. But though I wanted to get stuck into another big challenge, there are a number of things I had to consider. The first being my family life. The Atlantic rowing race had nearly destroyed my marriage to Bev, and for me, nothing is worth risking that. It had been a problem of communication rather than an impasse. I'd avoided talking about rowing across the Atlantic with Bev until the last possible moment, and not surprisingly, she didn't feel included in the decision-making process. I hadn't explained why I'd wanted to do the row. I wasn't even sure myself. So for Bev... When she thought we might start having a normal family life and share the responsibilities more evenly, I instead told her I was rowing across the Atlantic. As diplomatic skills go, it was more Genghis Khan than Gandhi. So not surprisingly, it caused some tension. The press exaggerated her displeasure at my forthcoming voyage, printing articles that were hard for both of us to read. Such was the media assumption that our marriage was over, that while I was rowing across the Atlantic... There were photographers outside our house trying to get a picture of Bev having an affair. If I was to go away again for a long period of time, I had to make sure I discussed it properly with her. I also had to consider where my career was heading. I'd retired from rowing at 32 and, unfortunately, rowing didn't pay enough for me not to work again. I needed not only to get a job, but also to find a whole new career. I was lucky to still have plenty of opportunities because of my success at the Olympics and a few new ones after the interest surrounding our 49 days at sea. But I still hadn't settled into a proper career. Could I afford to take such a big chunk of time away again? Besides which, will I want to do something else with Ben again? Despite having very different personalities and goals for the Atlantic Row, we'd managed to find a way of working well together. Reaching that point involved a lot of frustration, tears and arguments, but by the time we stepped off the boat, we'd forged a close friendship. I was even best man at his wedding. Did we want to risk that friendship on another trip? And more particularly, given my competitive instincts, a race. I first heard about a race to the South Pole from a journalist, and it got me excited in a way that other events hadn't. Since Norwegian explorer Roald Amundsen famously beat Captain Scott to be the first man to reach the bottom of the world in 1911, many others had mounted expeditions there but the Amundsen Omega 3 South Pole race would be the first time in 100 years that teams would actually race one another to the pole, putting their provisions behind them as the early pioneers had done. Like many people, I'd read about Amundsen's achievement, but I had no idea what it would actually feel like to be skiing in a whiteout at minus 50. I wanted to go there and experience a place so few people have been to. Racing to the South Pole sounded brilliant. It offered the chance to be isolated and self-sufficient out on the ice in a competitive environment where you'll be punished for making mistakes, though with a safety net in case something disastrous went wrong. I wanted to do it. Whether Ben was up for it, I wasn't sure, but we had promised each other not to sign up for another long adventure without talking it through with the other first. Life had been good since rowing the Atlantic with James. I'd got married, inherited another dog and bought a new house. I'd started a new series for the BBC called Extreme Dreams, in which I took members of the public on life-changing challenges around the world. 
I'd led teams through the jungles of Papua New Guinea and Guyana, up the mountains of Kilimanjaro in Tanzania and Roraima in Venezuela, and across the Sahara and Atacama deserts. I'd loved the expeditions, but I wanted a real challenge, one that would test me to my limits. Unlike James, I was looking for adventure. I wanted something with claws and teeth that would shake up my comfy life and remind me how lucky I was. James and I had become good friends. We'd travelled the world giving talks about our exploits, and in the intervening years I'd begun to understand him. He's a complex character with an ability to overanalyse things, but he can also be incredibly thoughtful. One example will suffice. During our Atlantic row, we'd run out of drinking water. It was Christmas Day, and we'd promised to raise a glass of water to one another every Christmas, in homage to that dark moment of our voyage together. The following year, he sent me a Christmas present. It was an enormous box.